start with, with our new theme song. Yeah, with our new theme song. Really clever. <laughs> it's time to play the music. It's time to shut your mouth. It's time to meet these dummies on the Rock Candy Podcast tonight. <laughs> dan, dan, dan. <laughs> it's time to put on makeup. It's time to dress up right. It's time to <laughs> raise the curtain on Rock Candy Podcast tonight. You know, we don't. <laughs> it's time to use our microphones and no one see our faces on Rock Candy Podcast tonight. <laughs> Why do they always come here? They leave us bad reviews. <laughs> <laughs> why Why do you come here if you're just going to leave us a bad review? No, no. It's <laughs> like a kind of torture to have to listen to this show. <laughs> wow, we're so self-deprecating today. Yeah, wow. That's You read the Stadler and Waldorf <laughs> section. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what that was. That's why. <laughs> Honestly, anyone that leaves us a one-star review, you're pretty much Stadler and Waldorf. How dare you? Don't and dis- don't smirch. insult the Muppets that way. No, if you're gonna leave us a one star review because you think we swear too much and we have shrieky lady voices, go fuck yourself. Coming in hot, shrieky lady voices since 1983. <laughs> you're welcome. 84. You're welcome, world. Yep. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music and also, um, you know, awesome renditions of old puppet variety shows. Yeah. And just screechy voice ladies. There you go. That's what we do here. That's why you're here. Switzerland. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We have to shout out Switzerland because y'all are like, you you guys are going hard. And I'm like, you know what? Thank you, Switzerland. Yeah. I knew I liked you. I particularly love Switzerland. I have visited the country and it is goddamn gorgeous. Well, we have nothing but good things to say about you, Switzerland. So keep up the good work. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I would love to be in you again. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. I'm going to be inside you again someday, Switzerland. Just... Someday you're never going to know. You're never going to expect it. Well, we just got a restraining order. You won't know. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just going to be there to enjoy the sights and the history and the chocolate and the the cheese isn't from Switzerland, is it? Swiss cheese? Yeah. Is it actually from Switzerland? I assume so. Hey, Switzerland, get at us. <laughs> also, love your clocks. Love They're your great. clocks. Yes. I, great clocks. I love the little cuckoo. That's great. Your hot chocolate's you know what? great, too. <laughs> yeah, your Swiss miss is just Swiss delightful. <laughs> I'm just going to sit over here and drink. Anyway. Let you tell me a story tonight. (laughs) Oh, who are you? I'm Maggie. And I'm Ashley. (laughs) Screechy Uh, voice lady one. We're screechy, squeechy voice, squeegee voices two. (laughs) This is going fucking great, guys. Guys, it's been, it's a Monday. But I have a really good story. You do have a really good story. From what I hear. It's pretty fucking good, and it's about somebody that not a lot of people know, which is a fucking shame. I don't know shit about what's heck gonna happen tonight. You played me a couple songs, and they were you showed me great. a Muppet video, <laughs> and that's all I got. Yeah, we're running the gamut of things. Yeah, we're talking about political issues. We're talking about indigenous issues. We're talking about fucking Sesame Street. Oh yeah, we're talking about major. 80s movies it's gonna be fantastic because we're talking about buffy saint marie yeah buffy saint marie she has a fantastic name too so she does have a lovely name it's great 
I like people whose real names are Buffy. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, it's her nickname, but it was an organically given Because, like, I like... What I like is, like, people who are named Buffy and they're not, like, prissy little rich ladies is probably yeah. what I should say. <laughs> it's just, like... I or like, vampire slayers. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of over that, too. I mean, I like Buffy, the show, but Buffy yeah. was, like, not my favorite character in that show. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Definitely not the best character. Mm-hmm. But also, like, we're all about not worshipping Joss Whedon right now, so... Oof. Yeah, Ooh. I'm all right with that. I'm okay with that. Can't blame the cast for that, but yeah. Oh, no, not at all. The, like, oof. I mean, the show is still fucking awesome. So, yes. It's just that he fucking sucks. Yeah, he does. We should have known this was going to be some bullshit. But this will be bullshit a different way tonight. Mm. I assume. I'm I'm waiting for bullshit. In you said, many. like, women's issues and so many different indigenous ways, man. issues. I am Yeah, also, ready. like, we have yet to talk about an indigenous musician on this show because they do not get <laughs> as much, like, consideration or attention. Or notoriety. Or notoriety that they deserve. Yeah. At all. And I think Buffy St. Marie is probably one of the most well-known. Oh. And one of the most celebrated. And the fact that people still don't know who the fuck she is, uh, that tells you a lot. I'm going to go sit in my shame chair. I'll be back in five <laughs> with, minutes. With your shame hat and my your shame. shame pants. I'm still taking my shame beer with me. Oh, what beer are you drinking? Well, you brought me. I mean, I want you to explain this. <laughs> you brought me another Japas lovely, fantastic Sawa mm-hmm. beer. Sawa peach, which thankfully... It does not really taste like peach because I'm not a big peach person. It has like a bit of an IPA-ness to it, but in a good way. Yeah, it tastes like a sour IPA, which yeah. I'm fine with. Yeah, it, it cuts the peach. It cuts the hops. It's all well-balanced. So, <laughs> the I didn't want to go out and try and find another beer. So, I was just like, yeah, jumping through hoops with this one. Sure. So, Buffy St. Marie was born in Canada and you know who else was born in Canada? Who? 90s teen heartthrob Devin Sawa. <laughs> I fucking love it. Logic. All right. It's it works. Working. I'm here for it. Totally works, guys. Whatever. I do have uh, some mass landing Gunner's daughter on backup, too. Oh, well, that's delightful. Yeah. And also because that works daughter. because I guess. She's someone's daughter. She is someone's daughter. But also, Mass Landing is from Maine, and she lived in Maine for a while. There you go. We did it, guys. Two of them. We'll never stop trying very hard. Our six degrees of beer is, it always happens. <laughs> That's just what we should call our beer segment. And today on Six Degrees <laughs> of Beer. <laughs> here you go. Eh. Sawa. It tastes just like the 90s. And in teen heartthrobs. best way. It tastes like a tiger beat. <laughs> Have you guys ever licked a tiger beat? That's what this tastes like. It's great. Tastes like tiger beat. <laughs> oh, I hope the ladies from Japas never hear us. Anyway. So sorry, Japas. Why don't we why don't we kick into the jams? The jams being this kick story that I jams, don't know. Pump up the jams. All the jams. Jam and toast, except no jam and toast. Yeah, except none of us know what jam's coming. So, I guess, first of all, I have to cite my sources. Source the cites. My source, my main source was Buffy St. Marie, the authorized biography by Andrea Warner. Ooh, authorized. 
Yes, quite authorized. If any of us know anything about climate change, standing rock, oil pipelines, uranium mines, or any environmental issue affecting Native American tribes, we have Buffy St. Marie to thank. Wow. For all her work in advocating for indigenous people, her name has been blacklisted time and time again. Oh. Literally. By Lyndon B. Johnson, up through Ronald Reagan. Rad. Yeah. Rad dads running the country. This woman has written countless songs that have become cultural anthems to indigenous people all over the world. But even the well-known top 10 pop songs she's written, her name has been virtually erased from them. Yeah. So you're probably thinking, I've never heard this woman's name before, but I can guarantee you've heard her songs. Mm -hmm. From her acoustic folk beginnings to the power ballad, Up Where We Belong, because yes, Up Where We Belong. Yeah, she wrote that song. Miss Lady has done it all, and she went through hell and high water to get where she is today. Beverly St. Marie was born on a native reserve called Piapot in the Quapel Valley located in Saskatchewan, Canada, mm-hmm. though she didn't know it at first. She was most likely born around February 20th, 1941. I say around because birth records for indigenous people in Canada at that time were spotty at best. Ooh. What a lot of Americans don't know is that indigenous people in Canada face tons of racism and have for hundreds of years. Okay. I'm about to get real educational on you. Okay. The government didn't much bother taking record of their births, which was a concerted effort on Canada's part to erase indigenous people from history. Cool. Great. (laughs) Rad. Yeah, that's the crazy thing is that like Americans think that Canadians are just the nicest people. Ain't nothing ever gone wrong in Canada. They're real sorry. They're real sorry about everything. And that means they just have a straight up plain old good goody two shoes history. And that is so not the case. Is that not true? <laughs> not My true. My God. Buffy was most likely a victim of what is known as the 60s scoop. This was a program implemented by the Canadian government to take indigenous children from their biological parents, force them into residential schools, and eventually adopt them out to white families. I do remember learning about this. Yes. Residential schools were church-run, and their main purpose was cultural eradication. First Nations children were forbidden to speak their own languages or acknowledge their native cultures. Mm -hmm. They were also subjected to hard labor, starvation, and physical, psychological, and sexual abuse. Oh, yeah, because wouldn't a lot of them be um, all kind of put in the same household, like usually with farms and stuff, and they would be put to work in, like, the families, like, but still expected to go to school and stuff? Or am I thinking of something else? No, I think you're thinking of something else. This is, like... This residential schools were basically boarding schools. Oh. They were taken away from all family and put in resi- these boarding schools and they were they took classes that basically eradicated their culture Jesus. and assimilated them into whiteness so that they could be adopted out to white families and be like, yeah, we're indigenous is not a thing anymore. Pero like they're not white. Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) And, like, there was no fucking reason to take them from their families in the first place. No. It's estimated that over 150,000 indigenous children were ripped from their homes and forced into these schools. And around 6,000 of those children died there. Oh, my. 
It was what? bad. It was How? really bad. It's it's like, you know, history repeating itself because we still have to deal with, like, children in cages now. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, those kids weren't in cages, still fucking died because nobody gave a shit because the government's like, yep. but we know how to do this right. And it's like, you clearly yeah. don't. Ripped from their families and put in what are basically just dis- detention centers. That's fucking gross. Come on, Canada. <laughs> this program was mostly implemented from the 50s through the 1980s. But it was certainly happening in the 1940s when Buffy was born. She was adopted by Albert and Winifred St. Marie, a mechanic and a newspaper newspaper copy editor, respectively. Mm -hmm. They lived briefly in Maine and then she grew up in Wakefield, Massachusetts. And she also had a brother who was five and a half years older than her. Um, Biological brother or like... uh, Adoptive. Oh, adopted brother. Yeah. So he was biological to Alfred and Winifred, or oh. Albert and Winifred, um, but not she was not biological to any of them. Okay, so maybe they're like a nice white family. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. No. Wishful thinking. Oh, no. Buffy, who got her nickname from a high school friend, knew growing up that she was adopted and was also acutely aware of her otherness. She never went to a residential school, by the way. She was adopted as an infant, just straight to um, her family in in Maine, Massachusetts. So basically she was born and not soon after, or not too long after that, they were like, school? Yep. Gross. Pretty much. Okay. Her dark hair and tan skin set her apart from the predominantly white Wakefield, which oh, yeah. <laughs> which made, a little bit, which made her a target for bullying, even from her own brother. What? He never let her forget that she was adopted. That's not cool, dude. Not cool, my dude. Like you don't have we, to treat her like shit because she's adopted. Yeah, we need uh, an equivalent of rad dad and cool mom for brother. So, bro, uh, bruh, <laughs> we'll figure we'll it out. We'll get there. We'll get we'll there. We'll figure it out. She had a tough time dealing with her background. Winifred claimed that she herself was part Micmac and inside their home, they were proud of being quote unquote part Indian. Oh God. Is this Elizabeth Warren family? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I don't doubt that Winifred was part Indian, but I even when I was a kid, I remember it being cool to say that you were part Indian, but you didn't look Indian, so you were still accepted as a white person. Here's the thing I kind of learned because yeah, my family be like, oh, and you have some Native American in you, and I'm like looking at myself, I'm like, are you sure about that? Everyone in America, for the most part, has a little bit of a Native American. Excuse me, now Indigenous, Indigenous persons in them. You want to know why? Cause your ancestors raped them. Yeah, that's why you got it in you. Mm. It's cause rape. Yeah. So like maybe simmer, simmer maybe, a bit. Maybe settle down a little bit. <laughs> Chill out about maybe, how you're somewhat. Maybe don't try to use that to get free college tuition. Yeah. Cause you're white. You're white. You're white. Some of y'all honky white. <laughs> That's the worst kind of white. So she took it upon herself to figure out what it meant to be Native American. She would visit the only other Native man in her town, a man named Leonard Baird, and listen to him and his wife tell her stories for hours. That's awesome. Being in their company gave her a sense of community, safety, and identity. Oh. But it was clear from an early age that Buffy had a talent for music. Her brother took piano lessons, and she wanted to also... 
but their music teacher advised against it. She realized Buffy had a natural and extraordinary talent. She could play music by ear like nobody else could. Huh. The teacher said that lessons would ruin that ability, so it was best to allow her to naturally develop her abilities. Well, shit. All right. I was the first going to get mad at this teacher, but no teacher was cool teacher. Cool teacher. Music became a refuge for Buffy. Her brother's verbal abuse turned into sexual abuse, and she was also sexually abused by a much older male relative. Come on. I know, right? Zero days without child sexual abuse. But also, like, cool, so you're going to bully her and make her feel like shit about her mm. otherness, and then you're going to sexually assault her? Yeah, that's, like, typical sexual abuser. I fucking, I fucking hate white men. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hashtag not all, not all white men, but, like, the abusers always do that bullshit where they talk about how garbage you are so that they can oh, eventually you te- take advantage of them. They gotta tear you up, tear you down so they can build you up and mold you into the exact kind of person that they can abuse at any point in time they want to. I hope this guy got hit by a car. I honestly don't know what happened to her brother. <laughs> I should have looked that up. I'm gonna say he got hit by a car. You know what? He got hit by a car. Sound- or, you know what? Got hit by a bus. Yeah. Let's say bus. He got he walked for in like, front of the metro. For like ultimate splat. Actually they're in Massachusetts. He got hit, hit by, by the T. <laughs> there you go. Hit by the T. Hit by the T. That should have been her first like single. Jesus. Ooh. So many meanings. Yeah. She didn't know how to handle the abuse, so she kept it inside. She thought that's what teasing was, and everybody had to deal with it. Oh, Jesus. By the time she was a teenager, the abuse she suffered turned her inward. She didn't have many friends in high school, but she preferred to be alone anyway, spending most of her time outside wandering forests while singing to herself. Oh, that's lovely. She may have felt like an outsider, but like most teenagers at the time, she loved the same early rock and rollers. Elvis, Chuck Berry, and Jerry Lee Lewis were some of her favorites. Nice. But it was the classical music that spoke to her the most, especially... Tchaikovsky. Oh. This tortured and long dead Russian was her first proper crush. Oh, yes. And his Stop. music showed her that music can deeply affect your your emotions. Oh, I love it. You're so cute and nerdy. I know, but also like first crush is on the whitest white boy that ever whited. I think he also <laughs> had like a really crazy beard. He had a he had a bushy white beard and a pretty sweet mustache. Mm. He had a, one that flipped out. Oh, he, he used some of that stash wax. Yeah. Nice. A mustachio, if you will. Ooh. She taught herself guitar as a teenager, and since she had no formal training, she tuned her guitar any way she wanted. Good. This is what would set her music apart from most folk musicians, because she didn't use standard tuning. Yeah. That's usually... Usually some of the best musicians are the ones who just teach themselves and say, I don't know exactly how to do this, so I'm just going to fuck around and do it my own way. Yeah. And then everybody else tries to replicate it, and they're like, I can't do that. And it's like, yeah, because I just fucked around and found out. (laughs) I guess her tuning was more akin to um, early blues. Oh, that's cool. Nice. As opposed to, like, the Spanish tuning that a lot of, you know, rock artists and indie folk artists Hmm. used. So... She actually ended up becoming very good friends with Taj Mahal, who is a blues legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went to college together, and then they ended up being neighbors when they lived in Hawaii. Oh, my God. And their kids grew up together. And 
he like had a shit ton of respect for her because she just figured out the blues tuning without even knowing the blues. And he right. was a blues guy. And he was like, wait, you don't know about this? Wait, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't know what you're doing right now? <laughs> and you just know this? What? Okay, respect. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Buffy started classes at UMass Amherst in 1958. She fell in love with the college and the diverse people that went went there. Also, I almost went to UMass Amherst, so should have done that. Mm, bullet dodged? No, UMass Amherst is just fine. Okay. But it's Massachusetts, so. Yeah. Look, I went to school in Massachusetts, and some would argue it wasn't even really Massachusetts. It's borderline, literal borderline Massachusetts. It literally is. Yeah. No longer was she the outsider in a tiny town full of white people. She was around people who looked like her, who talked about racial equality and justice. But still, despite all the talk of civil rights, no one was talking about indigenous issues. Right. So it's like while she at least felt the camaraderie of diversity, she still wasn't feeling like her itch was being scratched, so to speak. Right. Which is, I get it. I get it, too, because back then it was more about equality for black people, mm. which is totally a noble cause to. Well, and to... I think it was like civil rights, mostly for black people. But then there were a lot of depending on where you were, like Chicago or L.A., you know, or even New York City. I think they were about like also lower income. Mm-hmm. Um and just kind of everyone banding together. Yeah. But when, yeah. But when it came to like indigenous and Asian yeah, populations, that wasn't they as... kind of really weren't talked about, especially because it was so soon after World War II. Yeah. So there was still a lot of anti Asian sentiment. Stigma. Yeah. And nobody talked about indigenous people, like they're ever. Like, like Native Americans, they're fine, right? <laughs> yeah, they're on the reservations, they're fine. They don't care. They're happy. Hmm. Hmm. Wrong. Incorrect. <laughs> In 1961, she discovered the National Indian Youth Council in Washington, D.C. Mm. Here, she finally met students that were like her. Oh, nice. The same age and of Native descent with backgrounds similar to hers and who were passionate about Indigenous issues and activism. After traveling the Midwest with the NIYC, she understood racism against Native Americans was a much bigger problem than she realized. Oh, and did she run into a lot of other uh, children who had been part of the whole Scoop program? I don't think so, because the 60s Scoop was very much a Canadian thing, Mm. and she was traveling um, the American, the U.S. Midwest. So oh, she I was, feel like there were a good chunk of them that also ended up in the Midwest, but they did. But I don't know if they really understood that yet. Yeah, and she was a little bit older than the people who were in the '60s scoop proper. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so fair. I'm sure she was aware of it, but mm. maybe not everybody else was because they that's were more fair. concerned with what was going on with the American government than the Canadian government because that's where they lived. Yeah, and not only that, but I feel like. Man, the American side of the scoop, at least from the few stories and like podcasts I've listened to about it, they got really treated like otherness. Oh, very much. Because not only were they indigenous, they were from Canada. They yeah. were from a different country. And it wasn't like they were from Toronto or Montreal. They were from like the like they were from the very rural 
yeah areas of saskatchewan and alberta and british columbia mm-hmm. which we <laughs> as americans didn't know that existed <laughs> saskatchewan saskatchewan <laughs> She continued writing music while in college, but she was writing intensely personal songs that reflected on her childhood trauma and racism against indigenous people. Shit. That's advanced. For someone who was like barely 20. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at that time. People aren't like talking about shit. Not at all. (laughs) She and this also like the Vietnam War wasn't even a thing. Oh, yeah. So like (laughs) protest songs were not a thing yet. Yeah, everybody was still really happy happy, and just listening to Herman's Hermits. Exactly. <laughs> they were all Henry VIII, I am. Yeah. She was also getting into music that not everyone had heard of, thanks to her dorm mother, Teresa de, de Carpelli. Wow. De Carpelli. De Carpelli. Hey. Teresa introduced Buffy to female musicians like Edith Piaf and Carmen Amaya and encouraged her to play in front of audiences. Oh, that's so nice. She didn't feel comfortable sharing her songs on stage and That's playing fair. for a crowd of people. <laughs> it took a lot of courage for her to finally do it, starting by playing small coffee houses near her college and eventually going to bigger stages in Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh. What up, Springfield Palladium? I missed shows at the Palladium. I thought the Palladium was in Worcester. Never mind what I just said then. <laughs> Springfield, you just drive through Springfield as fast as possible. Yeah. Shout out to Springfield. (laughs) Sup. Buffy did very well in college and planned on graduating with a degree in teaching and oriental philosophy, which I feel weird saying because oriental is just not a word you say anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it is just the name of the course. That's that's what the name of it was back then. As much as I put disagree cite, with it. Put a little like asterisk citation next to it. <laughs> not, not okay to not call okay it this anymore. <laughs> she was already teaching first grade in Greenfield, Massachusetts during her senior year of college mm. and planned on continuing her studies at the Mahatma Gandhi University in India. Well, shit. Yeah. But those dreams were dashed when Amherst told her she didn't gra- she couldn't graduate because of a technicality. What? Like sh- they told her that she didn't she was doing so well in school that she didn't have to take this particular class that she that normally people have to take to graduate so she didn't take it and then like three weeks before graduation they were like oh you needed this class and you didn't take it so you can't graduate that's capital h capital b hot bullshit yeah i kind of feel like my college did that too but then i was like okay i just i guess i'll just just take a leave of of absence and stay another year right thanks guys yeah they were just trying to sucker her into more money state public schools man dude see it's a good thing you didn't go to hammer hamhurst hamhurst (laughs) hamhurst (laughs) (laughs) oh umass hamhurst i'm not the first person to think of that no This made her realize teaching wasn't really what she wanted to do anyway. So yeah, Fuck teaching. So instead, she moved to Toronto to immerse herself in the folk music scene happening there. And while in Toronto, she mentioned to a couple friends who were also of Native descent that she was born to an Indigenous family in Saskatchewan. These friends, Elizabeth Sampson and Wilfred Pelletier, believed Buffy may have been the long-lost daughter of their friend Emile Piapot. Oh, shit. Grandson of Chief Piapot of the Piapot Reserve and his wife Clara Starblanket. Oh, shit. 
Also, that is a great name. Clara Star Blanket. Yep. Yeah. I love it. I want that name. I don't think you are allowed to have it. I'm I sorry. I am not allowed to have that name, <laughs> but I can just sit over here and covet it. Yeah. Just looking at it. It's so pretty. You know what? Yeah, honestly, I'm just going to look at it. Yeah. It's lovely. Emil and Clara reportedly had a daughter around the same time and same place where Buffy was born, who was taken from them, and they never knew what happened to her. So there was a good chance Buffy could be their daughter. Shit. I couldn't really find any details around what happened where their daughter was taken away, but I assume the Canadian government just came in and physically took her. Scooped her. Scooped her right up. It was like, mine now. That sounds like a shithead thing that the Canadian government would do. Yeah. 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 She would never know if she was an actual blood relative of Emile and Clara, but after visiting them several times at the Piapot Reserve in the early 60s, she became part of their family. They would officially adopt her as their daughter in 1964, but for a long time, Buffy was bothered by not knowing if she was a blood relative. Eventually, she came to terms with it, understanding that she was lucky to have two families who loved her, whom she could love in different ways. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, wait, even the family with the gross son that touched her inappropriately? Yeah, like, her brother was a piece of fucking shit, Mm -hmm. but she loved her mother. Her adoptive Aww. mother. Like, she absolutely loved Winifred. And Albert right. was a really great dad, right. even though they had a shitty biological son. In fact, they adopted her because they're like, we fucked Fuck up on this, this one. We got to try it again. Well, let's not try it biologically. Let's just yeah. adopt one yeah, and like- see if nurture can beat nature. Oh, it can? Great. See, nature doesn't work, but nurture, that's the ticket. That's the baby. <laughs> the literal baby. <laughs> Meanwhile, Buffy continued playing shows around Toronto and gaining a dedicated following. As her music developed, she landed gigs around the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, spreading her activist viewpoints and educating people of Indigenous issues through music. That's awesome. Especially, again, at a time when they weren't really doing that. Not at all. Like, folk music was a thing, but it was just a lot of whiny white people. Oh my god, it was so many whiny white people. It was Bob Dylan whining his way through new york city guys times are changing <laughs> yeah things we get it different. bob i'm not going to work <laughs> fuck you mr I'm president i'm not going to work either i'm just gonna play my guitar <laughs> here's a harmonica solo <laughs> <laughs> sounds totally like a bob dylan song <laughs> guys we did it we totally pulled it off <laughs> They'll never know. They'll never know. They're like, wow, did they play a clip of a Bob Dylan song? (laughs) Fuck. Can't sue us. By 1962, she settled in New York City, ready to submerge herself in the city's burgeoning folk scene. And here she met Bobby Dylan. Oh. (laughs) And she was like, you really do complain a A lot. lot. (laughs) Do you actually have anything to complain about? No? Mm-hmm. Bob okay. Dylan fr- fans are my- just like leaving <laughs> yeah. their houses right now with yeah. pitch- pitchforks looking to f- kill us. Meanwhile, she's like, okay, get off the stage. Get I have here. things to say. <laughs> I can actually sing. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying Bob Dylan isn't a great artist, musician. But he doesn't hasn't... need a 19 minute song about JFK. Okay. Yeah, Released that. in That's... 2020. No. Yeah. Doesn't need We're that. We're not asking for None anymore. of us need it's that. It's fine. It's fine. Didn't ask for it. Didn't want it. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. We're not talking about Bob Dylan because 
whatever. We digress. But he was so impressed with Buffy that he invited her to perform at the Gaslight, a popular folk venue tucked away in a basement in Greenwich Village. I just love thinking about New York City and a folk scene. Because I there's know. nothing less folky to me than New York City. Yeah, I <laughs> if I went to New York City, the last thing that I would have in my headphones as I'm plowing people over to get down the street yeah. is folk music. Like, the only thing that makes sense is, like, real hard metal mm. or electronica. That's exactly that's, what I was going to say. That's it was pretty all you much can what I listened to. to when I was living in the yeah. city. <laughs> that's all you can listen to when you walk down a city street. People went nuts for Buffy's hard-driving protest songs and unique vocal style because I don't know if you picked this up when I sent you the songs, but she has a very interesting vibrato. She does. It's lovely. Which is kind of harsh when you first listen to it, but as you listen to more of her music, you're like, nah, this this is perfect mm. for her. Yeah. also set her apart from everybody else. Oh, she's very unique in yeah. the world like, of folk music. Compare Cass Elliot's vocal vocals Mm. to Buffy St. Marie's vocals who were both playing this area of Greenwich Village Mm -hmm. the same venues at the same time completely different yeah yeah hey maybe I'll leave this section right here and I'll put in a little song a nice little Buffy St. Marie song an early song yeah yeah. so people know what we're talking about here you go guys like that (laughs) there you go hope you enjoyed that better like it it's real fucking good it's a good song soon enough vanguard records came a knocking at her door offering her a record deal and buffy signed the deal but being a naive girl with no No. lawyer she didn't really know what she was signing she ended up signing like a seven album deal they always do that was like the thing back then it was usually like seven to like 10 albums and they expected you to put out an album like every six to 12 months oh god every six to 12 hours (laughs) pretty much yeah she figured she released one record and then go off to india like she'd always planned but she (laughs) was a wrong do you think you're the beatles (laughs) right i'm gonna meet the maharishi right now about it hey no hey hey come a little closer I've got a secret for you. You're not doing that. <laughs> That's what George was singing to her. <laughs> That's what he wrote this song about. Yes. He's like, no, don't do it. <laughs> don't go. Buffy. Oh. You're going to regret it. Buffy. <laughs> Buffy. Oh. Her first album, It's My Way! Exclamation point. It's my way. As opposed to Frank, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra's my way she also, was like no it's it's my way also as opposed to usher's my way yeah she likes it my <laughs> way <laughs> does she maybe we should ask her i'm yeah. assuming it's with consent i trust usher you should have put that in the song <laughs> it's my way with consent my way <laughs> anyway right so it's my way was released in april 1964 
She carefully chose songs that would have the biggest gut-punching impact and tried to say as much as she could about racism, erasure of indigenous culture, and U.S. colonialism in only 40 minutes. Ooh, but also, I feel like this is at a time where white people didn't want to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, most of them didn't. Mm. Um, They especially didn't want to hear it from an indigenous woman. Weird. But people in the folk scene were, like, super into it, okay. even though they apparently did really nothing to help get her word out. She did so much for all of the other folk artists in that scene, and I kind of got the impression, at least from the book that I read, that they didn't really reciprocate that. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. She really got Leonard Cohen out there. She got Joni Mitchell out there. Like, Joni Mitchell wouldn't be Joni Mitchell without Buffy St. Marie. They were very good friends. And she carried their tapes in her purse and would give them to anybody who was in the music industry. Oh, she is a really good friend. She's a fucking amazing friend. That's really sweet. Find yourself a friend who's like, I got my friend's demo in the bag. Fucking listen to it. (laughs) You better listen. Shove it in their chest and just walk away. Yeah. Songs like Now That the Buffalo's Gone and The Universal Soldier were blistering critiques of the U.S. treatment of indigenous people mm-hmm. and the Vietnam War before people were even speaking out about those issues. The Universal Soldier was a song that had already gotten Buffy some notoriety in the folk scene, and she had been singing it at her gigs for years at that point. She'd written it when she was still living in Toronto while waiting for a flight home after touring Mexico. She had noticed wounded soldiers deplaning at the airport, and when she asked where they had been, their medic explained that they'd just gotten back from Vietnam. He told her about the horrors they had faced there, and she was absolutely shocked. So moved by their story that she went straight home and wrote the song The Universal Soldier, which would become one of the defining protest songs of the 1960s. Right. The album also contained the deeply personal song Codine, Detailing Buffy's personal struggle with addiction to codeine. Oh. It's called codine with an apostrophe because that's how she pronounced it, I guess. Oh, okay. And also it, was, it sounds so fancy. It does. But it's easier to rhyme codine than codeine. So I get it. I don't know. You can write codeine. 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 That's the only song you can write with that. <laughs> oh my God. And I don't know if Jolene was out at that point. (laughs) That's what Dolly was really writing it about. And then Buffy got to it first. Damn it. She had contracted a bronchial infection and a doctor prescribed the drug as a cough suppressant. But this doctor was a hack and didn't tell Buffy what he was prescribing her. Okay. She thought they were just B12 shots. And before (gasps) she knew it, she was addicted to them. She didn't even realize it until she was on the road and suffering from withdrawal. Holy shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Years later, she found out that that doctor went to jail for exploiting women, like getting them addicted to drugs he prescribed them and forcing them to do sex work in return. Yeah. Buffy thinks he may have tried to do exactly that to her, and the pain of this realization is expressed in her songs. What a fucking trash bag yeah and if like i have no words (laughs) and if doctors weren't doing this then they were just like you know passing off women as hysterical crazy people that can't deal with pain and they're fucking fine yeah in case you want to know why like women and people of color don't trust doctors 
This is why. And that's that's definitely a reason to throw on the fucking Barbie. Mm. <laughs> throw that raisin on the Barbie. We're gonna we're gonna make some pork over it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, don't know where I was going with that. But the point said. is, that is a lot of fucking bullshit. It's so much bullshit. Buffy never liked the final cut of It's My Way. She didn't get it. It wasn't her way, apparently. I was going to say, that means it wasn't her way. It was not her way at all. She didn't get any say in which cuts Vanguard chose to put on the album. Oh. It did sell pretty well, though, but it didn't make it onto any charts. Right. It was popular enough for Billboard to name Buffy the best new artist of 1964. Well, that's cool. But, like... Like, nobody knew about her because they wouldn't play her songs. It's almost like charts don't mean shit. It's almost like the music industry was racist. No. No. Never. (laughs) Vanguard didn't do a very good job marketing the album to communities that would actually respond to it. However, it did allow Buffy to become a bona fide musician with a huge amount of respect in the folk community, not to mention the monetary freedom to pursue pursue music full time. Nice. Especially when other more popular musicians started covering her songs. They're like, I mean, we're not going to play your version, but we'll play this person's version. Yeah, we'll play this white man's version. Because in 1965, English musician Donovan covered Universal Soldier, and it was a hit, hitting number five in the UK and number 53 in the US. Flames. On the side of my face. I hate it. (laughs) He then covered Codine, and it was another hit for him. What? Yeah. That's some hot bullshit. Yeah. Donovan. Are you kidding me? Fucking Donovan. It's not even a song about your pain. No, no, not at all. Fuck you, Donovan, who I thought was an entire band until recently. <laughs> until I was like, nah, it's just one like string bean dude yeah. with an acoustic guitar. Also, like, he does look exactly the way you think he looks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, I got that. I just thought he had a band. Just a very soft, white English man. God, string he's very soft. bean. Very soft man. It's just a soft <laughs> cheese of a man. He's a real brie of a man. Oh, I feel like that's just even too oozing nice. Oozing out of his own skin. <laughs> anyway, a whole lot of people do not realize Buffy even wrote these songs. And to this day, people argue with her when she says she wrote them. I I don't know how she hasn't like just slapped a bitch. I'm... She may have. You know what? You're right. We don't know. She might have slapped a bitch. They don't cover her in the news, so we don't know. Yeah. Even if she did slap a bitch, we wouldn't know because the media is still too racist actually, to talk about her. you know what? That's fine. She can smack all the bitches. Yeah. Smack and if they all don't, the bitches up. And she doesn't need to get, like, notoriety for that. Yeah. Sometime in the mid-60s, Buffy moved with her then-boyfriend, painter Ramon Indias Alvarez to Ooh. Spain for a few months. Ooh. Apparently she like couldn't handle this like sudden fame that she was getting. It's like a story we've heard before. Yeah. And she <laughs> they kind of just ran away. Oh, that's fun um, though. Yeah, the plan was to hide away and work on their respective crafts, but it turns out Ramon was an abusive asshole. God damn it. They moved into a farmhouse in Maine together in 1966, but by the next year, she was out of there. But at least she got out of there. She knew At least she got out. Yeah. She went back to New York City, but ever the loner, she didn't really connect with other artists in the folk scene. 
She was just fine being on her own or hanging out with her only close friends, Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen, who were still unknown at the time and whose careers Buffy helped launch. Yep. Again, she would just run into people like, yo, you listen to Leonard Cohen's shit? No, I don't really listen. <laughs> yo, you like poems? Listen to Leonard Cohen. <laughs> Slap. <laughs> and runs away. <laughs> she slaps him with the cassette and runs away. <laughs> I love this for her. They didn't even have cassettes at this. What would what would you make a demo on? A record? Oh, maybe they did have cassettes, but they were A tracks? A track maybe? I don't know. Right. We're thinking way too hard. I about don't this. care. I don't care. <laughs> the point is she's slapping bitches, promoting her yeah. friends. Yeah. Like a good person. She released the albums Many a Mile in nineteen sixty five and Little Wheel Spin and Spin in nineteen sixty six, sticking closely to the simple guitar and vocal style of It's My Way. With some songs featuring the mouth bow. Yes. Which is an interesting instrument that literally looks like a small bow from a bow and arrow, Mm -hmm. but you play it with your mouth. So it's like a mouth harp, but a little bit more um, rustic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go find Cripple Creek by Buffy St. Marie Mm -hmm. and listen to that and because she sings and plays the mouth bow at the same time better yet if you find it when she's doing it on Sesame Street that is with a horse it is amazing and they're singing a song together god it it is a very very sweet song also it just makes you it just fills you with like a little joy a little happiness yeah it's like it's a very traditional kind of song it's almost like she took a traditional appellation mm. song and and turned it into kind of a, a a fireside song nice i like it it's yeah. really really good on little wheel the song my country tis of thy people you're dying holy well, shit I know. that's loaded i tried <laughs> i did it you it's did. a lot was a nearly seven-minute-long epic that was hugely critical of America's treatment of natives, as well as Hollywood's cliched portrayal of natives in movies mm. and Canada's residential school system. Mm. She put a lot in her songs. It is seven minutes. <laughs> and it's seven minutes long. And it's really, really good. I mean, I believe it. Again, she's talking about shit that I feel like no one was really publicly addressing. Not at all. Exactly. Until, like, now? Yeah, until they tried to put a pipeline in Standing Rock. And then people were like, oh, Indians exist and they're taking their land away. Sorry, we forgot about that for like 40 years. But like, we're totally on it now. We're here now. Sorry. But um, Obama's done. Okay. Yeah. No, you guys got this, right? You got this. We're done. Yeah, we got this. I'm sorry. We have to deal with Trump now. Okay. Bye. Bye. Meanwhile, indigenous people are like, Um, things are still shit. Like, we don't. Okay. We don't have water. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Everything's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is. As her profile grew, the press started to portray Buffy in a way that was completely unlike her real persona. Huh. You don't say, right? Weird. They no ca- way. They categorized her as the angry woman that just wanted to rage against men in the system without actually examining why she might be angry. <laughs> she was asked to star in The Virginian, a popular Western-themed TV show in 1968. She said she would do it, but she had two conditions. 
All indigenous roles had to be played by indigenous actors. Mm-hmm. And the writers had to make her character more than just a Hollywood cliche. All right. Great. Crazily, they um, agreed. Whoa, hold on. I, I fully expected your next sentence to be, and they fired her. <laughs> you would think, but. I would. I they did. were like, no, this we can do that. All right. It was a historical moment that the press went wild over. But then, of course, immediately forgot. Good. I mean, you know, I don't want I don't want them to outdo themselves. Yeah. In 1968, she released I'm Gonna Be a Country Girl Again, her first foray into country music. Oh. The album came about after Chet Atkins covered her songs The Piney Wood Hills and Until It's Time for You to Go. Okay. He invited her to Nashville to record, and those sessions turned into an album. Oh, that's awesome. It wasn't received that well because, of course, and didn't produce anywhere near as many covers by other artists that her last four albums did. Nobody wants to cover country. Honestly. Well, actually, like, I don't, I can't say I blame them. But it did spark a desire within Buffy to keep exploring new musical avenues. I mean, hey, you know what? She's still keeping it fresh. And she kept it fresh for her next album, Illuminations, where Buffy took experimentation to a new level. Ooh. She diverged from her acoustic guitar and vocals into electronic music. Oh, shit. Wait, electronic? Electronic. Legit. Like synthesizers and pew 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 sounds and all that. <laughs> you know, electronic music. Pew 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 pew. Yeah. <laughs> the result was something folk music hadn't seen before. It seems like laser beams and pew pew noises would be totally out of place here. But since Buffy's vocals were already otherworldly, mm. they just became an extension of her voice. Oh, that's cool. I it's actually hear that. a fucking dope album. All right. So good. For some, Illuminations was way too radical, and it suffered because of that. It would be largely forgotten about when talking about early electronic music, and Buffy's name rarely gets mentioned when discussing the root of electronica. Yeah. But now that people are rediscovering it, it's considered a precursor to punk, new wave, and gothic rock. Well, shit. If you like any of those things, I highly recommend listening to that album. It is amazing. It's their grandmother. It is. It really is. She birthed. She may as well have birthed Robert Smith at this point. Robert Smith's like, that's all right. I don't mind this. She's a nice mother. She's a nice lady. Oh, I like her. Oi, governor. She's a nice lady. You know what? I'm just not good at British <laughs> No, I'm making fun of myself. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, that song, Better to Find Out Yourself, was an incredibly direct takedown of shitty boyfriends. The song has particular punch, again allowing the press to feed into this angry woman trope they like to throw at Buffy. You know what? So what if she's an angry woman? She has every reason to be an angry woman. And you know what? Who are you, media, to tell her she can't be? Yeah, media. Why don't you suck my dick and find out? (laughs) There we go. That's it. Suck my dick and find out. (laughs) But at this point, Buffy's personal life was actually going well. She married Dwayne Kamaikalani Bugby in 1968 after Ooh. meeting the surfing instructor on a trip to Hawaii. All right. This sounds hot. Mm. He, was a, he was cute. All right. Cute little Hawaiian white boy surfer. Oh. She fell in love with him and the islands and relocated there permanently. However, she continued visiting her farm in Maine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, you need your Maine time. 
Yeah, everybody needs some main time. They Every- main should adopt that as their slogan. Everybody needs some main time. Yeah. You know, I got to go visit my farm. I got to go see a couple lighthouses. <laughs> got to go check out the ocean real quick. <laughs> they have some nice buoys and uh, dispensaries. Yeah, got to check out that Allagash mm. and that mass, mass landing. landing. <laughs> In 1970, she started the Native North American Women's Association to help Indigenous women supplement their children's educations and teach them to be proud of their heritage and culture. That's rad. She also started the Nihuan Foundation for American Indian Education. I am so sorry if I am pronouncing these things wrong. Yes, feel free to correct us. I'm trying. Where she sponsored five Indigenous youths so they could go to law school. Holy shit. Yo, she had money and she's like, I don't know what to do with this. She's like, I don't want to live this crazy, extraordinary life. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. What do you do, goody two-shoes? Um, <laughs> she, she doesn't even do codeine anymore. She doesn't do. She hates all of that stuff. So, like, what is she going to do? She's going to give it back to the community that she loves. So, she is just like, I'm just going to do all this philanthropic shit and nice. see what happens. Respect. Good yeah. job, Buffy. She also donated $300 a month for clean water to activists that were occupying Alcatraz Island in an attempt to get the U.S. government to give the land back to indigenous tribes. Oh. So apparently there was this um, law that basically said if any federal land that was previously owned by indigenous tribes was ever abandoned, mm-hmm. then the tribes could claim it and get it back they if they occupied it they could get it back okay so they did that with alcatraz and the u.s government was like nah, get the fuck out mm, i changed my mind and they occupied it for a while they tried negotiating they tried getting it back and the u.s government like physically got all of them out of there and was like no we're we're keeping this we're not going to do anything with it but we're keeping it it's not yours i fucking hate this yeah it's really infuriating when you're doing research on something like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I should have known about all of this. This None of this should be a surprise to me. But also, none of this is ever taught to me. No, we are very much whitewashed in school. And also, I history. didn't even think about doing this research myself. That is also on me. Mm. It's also on all of us for not taking the initiative and learning about this stuff. Right. But also, like, this needs to be in our... Our education, I remember being in uh, fourth grade mm-hmm. or sixth, no, fourth grade, and we did a Native American unit oh, in God. our social studies class, and it was all fucking bunk. It was total lies. Yeah. 100% up and down from start to finish. Total lies. Oh, yeah. Like, we were supposed to believe that Native Americans and early european settlers were friends we're and we fine. all got along fine and we sat down and we had this big dinner and then we just we're learned like, from hey, each other here's some corn and some blankets or here's a pig in a blanket so um <laughs> an actual vienna sausage in a croissant yes. here's that <laughs> we're gonna take all this land thank you thanks bye. you guys are cool with that cool 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 okay bye funny thing credit where it's due the one time in my schooling that I ever legit learned about indigenous peoples was in college when I took um, a museum studies course and we did an an art exhibit on Navajo art and Mm -hmm. we learned all about the Navajos and I was like, oh shit, we fucked up. Yeah. 
guess what? We're still fucking We're up still fucking up to but this like, day. Yeah, it took me like to take a fucking college art class to discover. Oh, we fucked up. Yeah, and I was even an art history major and I didn't learn shit about indigenous people or art. Yeah, it was just a random class. Yep. <laughs> so you had to be first of all privileged enough to go to college. Yes. And then you had to just haphazardly stumble over this random class that actually kind of taught you about atrocities that happened in the American history because we, towards if, Native Americans. In order to do a proper exhibit on them, we needed to understand the culture. Yeah. And who boy, did we understand the culture after that? Yeah. <laughs> Learned a lot. And there's still so much more to learn. There really is. There's so much more fucked up things that happen that I can't even attempt to understand. No. Nope. But I know it happened and I know the outcome. Look, we don't have time to write a seven minute song. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I don't have seven minutes here. Anyway. <laughs> Here's an hour and a half, though. <laughs> Here's an hour and a half of me kicking myself in the fucking face. <laughs> the same year, she worked on her first film score. It was for a film called Performance, which seems like a truly stupid movie that happens to be Mick Jagger's acting debut. Wowie, wow, wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> Gotta show you the trailer for this garbage no one really liked the movie, but the score got rave reviews. You know what? That's all that matters. That's all that matters. In this story, that's all that matters. Buffy contributed two songs in collaboration with Ry Cooter, which is just... <laughs> <sighs> I'm so sorry, Ry Cooter. <laughs> and Randy Newman, of all people. Randy Newman. Randy Newman. It was the beginning of a long side career of doing musical scores for movies. She contributed to the score for 1970's Strawberry Statement and 1971's Soldier Blue, one of the first major Hollywood films about the genocide of indigenous people. Well, shit. Still seemed kind of racist. Though. Oh, I'm sure it was. But the fact that they even tried. And starring Murphy Brown. What? Of all people. I love Murphy Brown. The film was- Wait. A- Sorry. She didn't- she didn't play an indigenous person, no, did she? Okay. No, she played a white lady. Cool. I, that's exactly what I thought when I read that. And I was like, oh, no. <sighs> but I think if they had Candace Bergen playing an indigenous woman, Buffy would not have worked on the movie. You're right. You're right. You're right. The film was a success in Europe and Asia. But as you can imagine, it didn't do well in American box offices. Weird. Buffy's song of the same name, however, was a top 10 hit internationally. Oh, shit. Although doing music for these movies was an enjoyable time in her life, recording her next album would not be. Oh, no. For the movie performance, she worked with producer Jack Nietzsche, who was Phil Spector's right-hand man and who was almost equally as volatile. You in danger, girl. Oh, Buffy. You in danger, girl. (laughs) They got along great during sessions for the performance soundtrack, but while recording for She Used to Want to Be a Ballerina, she got to see just how out of control Jack was. He was very hot and cold. One minute, they'd be collaborating perfectly on a song, and the next, he'd be grappling with some inner conflict Buffy couldn't identify or help with. Oh. While they admired each other very much, the common ground just wasn't there. She Used to Want to Be a Ballerina didn't do well commercially, but for Buffy, it was still still a success. Because this was the final album she needed to release in order to get out of her deal with Vanguard. Yeah. Party! (laughs) Get the fuck out of there. 
They had demanded an album a year since 1964, and she was itching to drop them and do her own thing. But Vanguard wouldn't give up without a fight. Oh, for fuck's sake. Because of course. She did it. Come on, guys. Let her go. Just fucking stop. Just let her go. In 1971, while Buffy was in the hospital recovering from convulsive vomiting caused by a defect in her digestive tract. Okay. Random. Yup. Vanguard's art director threatened to blackmail her. What? Like literally at her hospital bed. He presented her with a terrible photo of herself, digitized to make her look greasy with orange skin and green hair, and said they will be using that photo as the cover of a best of album if she did not sign a new contract with them. What the fuck? Yeah. I have so many questions and issues. Yeah, but also, what makes you think that she would be like, okay, yeah, like, I'll sign. Exactly. One of the questions is like, what makes you think she gives a shit? Yeah. But one of the other questions is, what is your fucking angle? Yeah. With digitizing a picture to make her look bad. And or like, just, hold on, that's just negative sales for you, my dude. Yeah. I think, in a way, they were trying to make it look artsy, but also trying to accentuate her, her indigenous oh no cause because she would hate that because like that's what a lot of uh, like journalistic things and like articles and magazines and record companies and stuff were trying to do was accentuate her indigenousness to sell things because um, people were like oh it's exotic you know and she's like go eat a dick basically she suck was my like, dick and find out she was like you want to do that all right fine Fuck you. I don't give a shit. Seriously. See if I'll give you guys another cover story. There you go. Of course, this did nothing but make her more determined to be done with Vanguard. (laughs) She refused to sign on again, so they released the album with the intended cover art, and Buffy now calls it the Blackmail Album. Damn. But also, again, this doesn't do anything for Vanguard. They're not going to sell records, and they're just going to come out looking like douchebags. Yeah. Because now we all know yeah. it's the blackmail album. Yeah. So, like, go fuck yourselves, Vanguard. Yeah. Also over was her marriage to Dwayne Bugby. Hmm. They made their union work for as long as they could, with Dwayne going on tour with Buffy as much as possible. But he hated being away from their farm in Hawaii, but him staying home meant they barely saw each other. Right. They realized they were better off divorced than forced into a relationship where they never spent time together. Oh, okay. So it was amicable. Yeah. For the most part, like, it wasn't contentious or anything. Nice. It was only appropriate that this same year, Elvis Presley himself asked if he could cover one of Buffy's most pop-oriented and conventional songs, Mm -hmm. Until It's Time For You To Go, from her second album, Many A Mile. Okay. Which we can probably put a little snippet of that in there, because you probably know this song. Yes, we're different, worlds apart, we're not the same. Laughed and played at the start like in a game. You could have stayed outside my heart, but in you came. And here you'll stay until it's time for you to go. Don't ask why. It's arguably her most covered song with renditions by Bobby Darin, Neil Diamond, Cher, Barbara Streisand, etc., etc., etc. Dag. 
the most popular one is Elvis's version, yeah. I believe. But also, like, I didn't really recognize Elvis's version, but I definitely recognized Buffy's version. Hmm. It's very strange. Right. Anyway, Buffy's next four albums, which were released one year between 1972 and 1975, were some of the easiest to record. That was mainly due to Vanguard finally fucking off in 1973 and the fact that she found the perfect artistic partner in Norbert Putnam, producer for Joan Baez and Elvis, and owner of the Quadraphonic Sound Studio in Nashville. All right. There you go. Even if his name is Norbert. 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 Is he a turtle? He looks like a Norbert, for sure. During the sessions for these albums, Buffy found herself growing immensely as a musician. She became a better singer and started playing with a full band. Before, it was just her and a guitar and a mouth bow. But Norbert's band behind her, she felt she could let loose and rock out. All right. In between making albums and touring, Buffy was still relentlessly advocating for indigenous people all over the world. Because she was so passionate, she and her fellow activists were often labeled radicals and militant. And unbeknownst to her, she had been blacklisted by the U.S. government. Like, I love, not only did the does the government blacklist people who they're like, oh, God, they're telling everyone the truth. Oh, no. It's like, we're not going to tell you you've been blacklisted. Yeah. Yeah, don't tell us we're blacklisted, but, like, we can probably figure it out. Yeah. Because if we're speaking the hashtag truth. Right. You're going to, we, we know we're going to get blacklisted. Hashtag truth before hashtags were a thing. Yeah. She was hashtag truth in it. Yeah. Back in the 70s. It began with Lyndon B. Johnson and continued with Richard Nixon because Nixon, Dickie Nix ain't ain't messing with nobody. Apparently, yeah, Dickie Nix. I just like that name, Dickie Nix. <laughs> he doesn't deserve it. It's, it makes him sound so cool, and he's not cool. He's not. He's not cool at all. But I still really cooler. want to call him Dickie Nix. Even though she was still as popular as ever, shipments of her records were mysteriously disappearing mid-transit, mm-hmm. and she was asked not to speak about indigenous issues on talk shows. It wouldn't come out until almost a decade later that the White House roped radio DJs into not playing her music. Ugh, come on. What is this, iHeartRadio? Basically, and like literally all they got from it was a letter from the White House saying, thank you for not playing her music. Oh, fuck are you, you going to frame that? Yeah, I bet you are. You're going to jerk off on it? Yeah, he's going to come all over it. Mm. And Buffy became heavily involved in the American Indian Movement, an organization founded in 1968 to address systemic racism, abuse, poverty, and violence against Native Americans. Mm. She became close with fellow activist Sheldon Wolfchild, and the two fell in love, marrying in 1975, Ooh. and shortly afterward, Buffy gave birth to her first and only child, Dakota Starblanket Wolfchild in 1976. That is an immensely cool fucking name. Yacht. Like, I, and no offense to him or anybody, but I would not over that name. Yeah. That's a great name. Yeah. With her son, nicknamed Cody, mm. Buffy continued blazing trails, even when it came to children's programming. In 1975, producers for Sesame Street invited Buffy to do a one-shot guest spot on the show. She initially said no, but then asked if she could do some Native American programming. Oh. Yo, if anybody's going to say yes, it's it'd be Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. It'd be, it'd be Sesame Street. Yeah. Sesame Street was all about, like, diversity and mm-hmm. and educating kids on as many possible 
backgrounds as possible. Yep. After mulling it over for a couple days, they offered to have her on as a writer, a contributor, and a semi-regular cast member. Holy shit. Yeah, they were like all fucking for this. Damn. Sesame Street was huge at that time, so it was the perfect opportunity to educate millions of children about indigenous issues and their parents because the parents would watch it with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Buffy even became the first woman to breastfeed her child on national television. No shit! Yep. She breastfed Cody um, while she was on this show, and she had Big Bird with her, and Big Bird was like, what are you doing, Buffy? <laughs> she's like, um, Buffy, I'm really confused. Uh, why is your tit out? <laughs> well, they have, like, they did a really cute thing where they paired Buffy and Big Bird together. So before she had Cody, they like had their own thing. They were always in skits together. And then when they had, when she had Cody, they had Big Bird get like jealous of Cody because like they tried to do this like big, big sibling, little sibling jealousy thing. And then Buffy would explain like, there's nothing to be jealous about. It's just that I have him now, and now I can split my love between the two of you. And that is so wholesome and adorable and wonderful. This is why Sesame Street is amazing. Yeah. Save Sesame Street. Guys, hashtag, don't let Sesame Street die ever. Seriously. Also, that almost made my ovaries work. (laughs) Almost. It was like a... And then it was like, all right, you know what? That's the most... The gears, like, moved a little bit, and the dust went... Yes. And then it just stopped. (laughs) Yeah, but still, that's a lot of movement. That is. It really is. But it makes me more like, more, it makes me feel more loving towards Big Bird than it does towards a child. (laughs) So I don't know what that says about us. (laughs) So I want to birth Big Bird, but I don't want to raise Big Bird. I want to be friends with Big Bird. Let's just be friends with Big Bird. Okay. All right. (laughs) That works. I like it. Around the time Cody was born, Buffy released her last album for MCA Records. Sweet America was her 12th studio album and the last one she would make before retiring from music to focus on Sesame Street and activism. Of course, the album didn't do well and eventually went out of print, but Buffy had bigger and more important plans ahead of her. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like her retirement plans are great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sesame Street. Activism. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. That's my retirement game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in 1978, she helped organize the Longest Walk, an event where indigenous peoples from all over the world and non-indigenous allies walked from Alcatraz Island to Washington, D.C. Wow. Yeah. And I've never heard of this. We never learned about it. Mm. That's crazy. The event lasted about a year and a half from February 1978 to July 1979 and was to raise awareness about legislation aimed at stripping land and water rights from indigenous tribes. After the longest walk was over, it was clear that Buffy and Sheldon's marriage wasn't working. The biggest area of contention was where to live. Buffy's heart was in Hawaii, but the climate and landscape reminded reminded Sheldon of Vietnam. And the PTSD it triggered was impossible to live with. Oh, yeah, that's sad. He wanted to live in Minnesota, but Buffy couldn't imagine living on the mainland. No. Also, Minnesota. Yeah. East Maine is cool. Well, that's where he was from. And I'm assuming he wanted to live on the reservation he was born on. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But that wasn't her reservation. That wasn't where she grew up. So she really liked Hawaii. All right. 
Even worse, Buffy was always on the road. It was difficult to balance all of that with a child that neither of them really expected to have. Oh. (laughs) So they went their separate ways and divorced in 1981. Oh. Shortly after their split, Jack Nietzsche made another appearance. No, get out of here, Jack Nietzsche. Go away. (laughs) Nobody asked for you. She hadn't seen or spoken to him since recording her 1971 ballerina album, which she described as an awful experience. Okay, so go away, Jack. Right. Don't you come back no more. (laughs) Ha! Hit the road, Jack. (laughs) But he was in Hawaii, and he was working on the soundtrack to An Officer and a Gentleman, and he wanted her help. Come on, Buffy, I need your help, man. Come on. (laughs) That's my Jack impression. Good. I don't know anything about this man, but I assume he sounds desperate. He's a very weird looking man. I can only imagine sitting next to Phil Spector and Jack Nietzsche (laughs) in the same room. I would be terrified. Holy fuck. Am I in a production studio or an Andy Warhol exhibit? Waka waka. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to start the music. It's time to make bad jokes. Ugh. That's just what's playing while you're in the studio with Jack and Phil <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Spector. Oh. While they were collaborating, Jack made it clear that he had feelings for Buffy. No. He convinced her that he wanted to be a good father to Cody. No. And that he was clean and sober after years of drug and alcohol abuse. Stop it. And he was ready to take the relationship to the next level. Buffy, you and Danger Girl. So much danger. Stop it. He proposed and she relented. No. And they were married on March 19th, 1982. No. Yeah. So much no. Little did she know that he wasn't clean and sober after all. Well, you don't say. Shortly after their wedding, he checked into a methadone clinic, (sighs) forcing Buffy to leave her beloved home in Hawaii and move to L.A. No. (laughs) I'm so mad. Jack Nietzsche is awful. Does he get hit by a bus? No, he dies of a heart attack. Close enough. Jack flip-flopped between addiction and sobriety, and he clearly had mental health issues that were unchecked and unpredictable, causing him to be cruel and abusive. And though he never physically harmed Buffy, he definitely threatened to many, many times. He was basically like Phil Phil Spector without the gun. Phil Spector light. Yeah. Yeah. He he idolized Phil Spector Which is your and first mistake. just copied everything he did. Ugh. It was so weird. Even the weird wigs? <laughs> no, but he had really just he just had bad hair, period. Okay. Like head and facial. Great. The song the couple had written for an officer and a gentleman titled Up Where We Belong which I know you all know. Where we belong. Yes, that one. That was a massive hit. It was. It reached number one on Billboard's Hot 100 chart and got a Grammy Award win for Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warnes, who sang the duet. Jennifer Warnes is just like soundtrack queen of the 80s. Oh, okay. She also did, she did the female parts of I've Had the Time of My Life from Uh, Dirty Dancing. Oh, okay. Got it. It also got Buffy, Jack, and their co-writer, Will Jennings, an Academy Award win for Best Original Song. Buffy became the first indigenous person ever to win an Academy Award. Holy shit. For anything. Anything? Anything. Holy shit. Yep. So not only did she win an Academy Award, 
first indigenous person to ever do that. Fuck. That was 84? Yeah, something like that. I don't, I don't know. Early 80s. Early 80s. Yeah, sure. Either way, that's like, I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, a long time that the Academy was around. Yeah. And not a single indigenous person. Mm. Even like, I don't know, as like a production assistant. Yeah. <laughs> gets a fucking award. Nothing. Wow. Okay. Like we are still in like 2021 breaking records like that. Breaking racial records like that at the Academy Awards. Also, like, fuck awards. The Academy Awards mean nothing, especially this year, because ain't nothing good come out in 2020. Mm -mm. But the couple's marriage became increasingly volatile. Yeah, if there's a a marriage I didn't want to work out in this story, it (laughs) was this this one. one. Jack retained absolute control over every aspect of Buffy's life. She couldn't socialize with friends, attend activist events, or even work on music without his approval. So again, Phil Spector without the guns. Yes. Okay. For someone who is used to working constantly and being her own breadwinner, this was absolutely stifling. Mm-hmm. She continued writing her own songs and keeping diaries in private, though he flew into a rage when he found them. <sighs> But she just dealt with it, kept her head down, and trudged along until one night towards the end of their marriage, which was probably sometime in the late 80s. While she was asleep, Jack shot her up with heroin. Yeah. What? Mm. Yeah. Why? Just like, mm, gonna shoot my wife up with heroin because I can't sleep. Oh, no. We're, we're zero days without a heroin incident. Technically... So wait, he couldn't sleep, so he shot her up with heroin? I don't know what he was doing. That was just a joke on my part. He either couldn't sleep or he was in the middle of, like, a psychotic episode or something. Nope. I don't know. But he was like, my lady's asleep. Gonna shoot her up with heroin. (gasps) No. Oh. Yeah. Buffy hated opiates after her bad experience with codeine decades earlier, so she was fucking furious that Jack would do something like that without her consent. Yeah. 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 You don't do that. Yeah. I have no words. This prompted her to plan an escape with the help of her best friend, Kaylee Higginbottom, in 1989. Good. She packed carry-on bags for her and Cody and hid them in a closet. At four in the morning, she grabbed the bags, grabbed her son, raced out to Kaylee's car, and went to the airport. Get the fuck out of there. She pork chop sandwiched her life away. Good. They flew back to her home in Hawaii and never saw Jack again. She wanted nothing to do with him, so much so that she didn't even want to deal with a divorce. Eventually, Jack filed for a divorce, but continued attempts at getting Buffy back all the way up to his death in 2000. Bye, bitch. Bye. Bye, motherfucker. Bye. No. No, no, no. It was time for her to get back to work. In 1992, she released her first album in 16 years. Oh, wow. Titled Coincidence and Likely Stories. It was a comeback of sorts and an attempt to regain a career after being out of the public eye for nearly a decade and a half. It was also an attempt to get back at a government who'd blacklisted her and successfully got her last album to drop off the face of the planet. Hmm. Luckily for her, Buffy was way ahead of everyone when it came to technology and music. Coincidence and Likely Stories was the first album to be made over the internet and was essentially a continuation 
of her experimentation with electronic music that she started with Illuminations. Oh, shit. Girl was ahead of the curve. Way ahead. She was super into computers. She had one of the first Apple computers that she, like, experimented with and, and made. played Oregon Trail on. Uh, totally. <laughs> She's got one of those Candy Max. Is Oregon Trail, like, racist? I don't remember. I don't think so. I thought it was more like Donner Party shit. Without yeah. the eating yeah. people. <laughs> Without the cannibalism. Here lies Andy, pepperoni and cheese. You died from cannibalism by the Donner Party. <laughs> yes. That's what I wanted. Anyway. I don't think there are any indigenous characters in Oregon yeah. Trail, so I don't think it's racist. Okay. Not I, I honestly do not remember. You know what? Me neither. All. I apologize. Anybody else is. that remembers Oregon Trail like really well? Do they mention indigenous people? I don't know. Oh, God. This might be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The album also included the song Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, a song that took Buffy 14 years to write. It was largely influenced by two very tragic events that happened in the 70s. The first was the incarceration of her friend and activist Leonard Peltier, for the murder of two FBI agents in a shootout at Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. It is widely believed that Leonard was framed and had nothing to do with the murders. I was going to ask. But yeah, he's still in jail for that. No shit. Oh my mm. God. Innocent people being tossed in jail. No yep. way. Yeah. The second was the murder of Buffy's close friend, activist Anna Mae Aquash. Many suspected the FBI covered up her murder because mm. the coroner originally said she died of exposure. After a second autopsy was done, it was determined that she was shot in the back of the head, <gasps> execution style. But, you know, the coroner just fucking missed that, apparently. Oh, hey, there's a bullet back here. Mm. Maybe that's what happened. Mm. Her murderers wouldn't be caught and convicted until the 2000s. Jeez. Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee was a scathing takedown of corrupt American policies and political greed, which only serves big oil companies while simultaneously stripping natives of their rights and lands. It was an issue that Buffy had spent at this point three decades raising awareness for, and going into the new millennium, she was still screaming at the top of her lungs about it. Hey, I, I bet she still is. You know what she's doing now? This. That. <laughs> uh... She started the Cradleboard Teaching Project in 1997 as an extension of the Nihawan Foundation. Buffy, who started out as a teacher before turning to music, created a modern interactive curriculum for children centered on self-identity, self-esteem, celebration of culture, and destigmatizing indigenous people. That's wonderful. I love it. Because that's where it starts is with the kids. And you know what? I would know a whole lot more about indigenous issues if I was taught more about it in my stupid fucking public school. Same. That's why I do have some hope for, like, the youths. I think they're yeah. being generally taught a lot better than we were. I really hope that whatever fourth grade social studies unit on Indians <laughs> is happening right now is way better than what I got. Yeah. Because my, like, 94-year-old white lady teacher was not about changing the curriculum no. for anything. No, no. So, since the 90s, Buffy has continued to be a very vocal advocate for indigenous rights, and her philanthropy is unrivaled. 
She has also continued making music, albeit at nowhere near the frenzy pace of the 60s and 70s. She released Running for the Drum in 2008, which included a noticeably more rock-oriented sound with plentiful traditional influences. The album is basically a collection of catchy and powerful activist anthems. Take the song No No Kesha Gesh, for example, which I sent to you. Yes. It's a fucking bop. That is Love a that song. It's a hella catchy chorus with a powwow drum beat, but the lyrics are chock full of that witty and scathing activist speak that Buffy was so good at. And her vocals are still, like, spot on. Oh, she is fucking fantastic. And she has only gotten better. Yeah. And I honestly think that her voice now is actually more suited to, like, a pop rock kind of mm. kind of sound than, than folk. Like, she can totally still do folk, but her voice is strong enough that she can do, like, upbeat pop Yo, her voice song. has seen some shit. It has. <laughs> <laughs> and it's stronger for it. It is. Her next album, 2015's Power in the Blood, is amazingly modern. It truly puts to shame any 60s folk singer that claims they kept up with the times. As one review... Are you, are you talking about Bob Dylan's 19-minute song about JFK? Maybe. <laughs> okay. Maybe. As one reviewer put it, with Power in the Blood, Buffy was, quote, more Bjork than Baez. Oh, shit. Which is totally fucking true. And honestly, even Bjork has, like, she sings a lot about the environment and how we're fucking it up. Yeah. So, like, Homegirl still has, like, those folk, ro- folk roots, too. They should get together and do something. <gasps> the most recent album she has released was 2017's Medicine Songs, a collection of songs throughout Buffy's career that were reworked, again, to reflect the changing musical climate. While some describe the re-recorded songs as losing some of their original chutzpah, she did win a Juno Award for Indigenous Album of the Year. Oh, shit. Nice. It would be really easy to call Buffy a broken record and dismiss her as an out-of-touch relic of the old days, but she isn't in any way, shape, or form. Not only was she right about every single environmental and Indigenous issue that we are facing today, but she updated her music to reflect the changing times. Yeah. She would rework her own songs to include rock and roll, electronica, and indie rock. She embraced change and made it work for her, making her, now at 80 years old, one of the hippest people I've ever seen in my life. She's 80? 80. Woman is 80. I'm going to go for 80. Actually, now she's probably 81. Wowie, wow, wow. Still look good. Right? It greatly upsets me, probably more than any other musician we've covered, that Buffy St. Marie is routinely and systemically ignored by, like, everybody. Yeah. It's not just her music we should be paying attention to. We should be listening to her words. We all need to shut up and listen to her and then educate ourselves on indigenous issues in our own backyards because guaranteed there are native people all around you screaming in your face and all you need to do is scream with them. We can start by screaming Buffy songs. And that is what we need to fucking do. Hey, you want to know how she probably wouldn't sound like a broken record anymore? Is if we actually fucking enacted some change. Yeah. And the United States government was actually like, oh shit, we should listen to her. Yeah. And the Canadian government. And maybe most governments. Yeah. But at this point, it is just so fucking easy for the American government, and honestly the Canadian government too, to exploit them and just railroad them. Yeah. And whatever the government wants to do, they will fucking do it. 
whether it puts indigenous people even further into poverty or just kicks them out of their land, period. They're going to do it. And it's just as bad as anything that they're doing to anybody in inner cities Mm -hmm. who are living at at the poverty level or below the poverty, poverty level and are getting forced out of their own homes because they can't afford it anymore. It's like that saying, you know, I didn't say anything when they came for X. I didn't say anything when they came for Y. And now they're coming for me. Right. It it starts with the lowest, quote unquote, the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. I am not at all saying indigenous people are low on any totem pole. It's just that, you know, they are viewed as very less. And basically between colonization and government, they've done such a grossly thorough job at getting rid of these people and throwing mm-hmm. them in just an absolute you They've know just, their own lands and now it's, it's just like, been so easy for the government to just keep taking and taking and taking and taking and taking right. and then being like well why can't you just you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get a job and make everything better but at this it's point like, because of you right <laughs> and at this point they've basically sucked the indigenous people dry yeah so now they're going after the inner cities mm-hmm. they're going after the low e- income people of inner cities and they're going after them and they're just going to suck them dry. It's it's the same as like how, you know, people get thrown in low income housing or, you know, Skid Row in L.A., like the homeless, basically Mecca of America. You know, these people are going to be tossed aside into these areas and they'll be sucked dry and sucked dry and sucked dry. And it's like what you don't realize is like we all have these shitty problems that we have to deal with. And it's easy to get very much overwhelmed in our own problems mm-hmm. it in and like all tino shade like get it sometimes you're having a rough fucking month or maybe a rough fucking couple years and you can't keep up with your bills and all the shit's going on but i and like instead of getting mad at people on welfare instead of getting mad at the people who want social justice get mad at the people that are putting them there get mad at the fucking government because they're gonna fuck you next i yep. promise you you're you're next they on the already list. are yeah that's why you're in this situation right so we need to be looking at each other and empathizing with each other and working together. Yeah. That's what this is. And we also need to be conscious of the fact that the United States has made all of these laws, all these treaties, all of this and that to make it look like they're trying to help indigenous people. And it's all bullshit. Yeah. Because as soon as they want to put a pipeline down oh, yeah. and they want to put it through an indigenous reservation and compromise their water sources, they're going to do it no matter what. Yeah. Because they are going to take all of those treaties, all of those laws, and say, these don't count anymore. (laughs) We're going to do these laws now. And we're just going to enact them. And nobody knows about it. Nobody pays attention to it. And nobody just has the information they need to realize this stuff is going on. Right. So the government just does it. Like, the only time we ever pushed back was at Standing Rock in 2016. Yeah. And then literally as soon as Obama left office, everyone was like, okay, bye. Yeah, we have to worry about Trump now. Yeah, we got got this. Trump's going to make sure this happens. Yeah. So we need to understand that what the government is doing is reworking their own laws and just sending through all of these different laws to do whatever the fuck they want to Native Americans, to indigenous people, and to take their land 
and do whatever they want to it Mm -hmm. to make more money for the people in charge. Yep. That's the really big, a really big problem. Yeah. That's one of many. One of many that we're not paying attention to. So with this whole episode, just like open your fucking ears, probably do a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. Read Buffy St. Marie's book because it is extremely um, informative. Cool. Or the one that I that I read her authorized biography. Very good. Very easy read. Very interesting. All right. That is a good place to start. Sounds good. And I like just just listen to music of people who don't look like you or sound like you or the same gender as you or maybe don't identify as any gender. Mm. I think it's important to keep your your ears open to people who have lived different experiences because not only I think what they're singing is important, but they might be making music that you're going to hear like this is really fucking good. Yeah. Be and willing to expose yourself. And especially with Buffy, like her songs have been covered by so many other people. Yeah. Especially white men who have gotten <laughs> so much more um, accolades for it. And people think that these white dudes wrote her songs. Yeah. It's kind of So she is like literally being erased from her own history. And that is atrocious. Yeah. Don't let it happen. Don't let that happen. And just listen to her music because she deserves those Spotify hits yeah. and downloads. Not Donovan, Donovan who <laughs> isn't even alive anymore, right? I don't know. So don't give Donovan's I mean, estate your money. Donovan's fine. But listen to Donovan's songs when you I listen know. to Donovan. Maybe we'll listen to, maybe we'll do a Donovan episode and we're going to fucking hate him. I don't know. We'll find out. I think we're going to fucking hate him, but I wish I don't want to because... My mom loved Donovan when she was younger. But I'm sure he's fine. He's just a soft British boy. <laughs> he's just a soft cheese of a British boy. And it's, it's, that sounds delicious, actually. A, a nice soft cheese. No, I, I want to go eat some cheese. Yeah. Let's go do that. Okay. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> we hope you found this episode interesting and insightful and not at all shrill and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. Yes. You never know. You never know. So thank you guys so much for listening. We hope y'all are doing good out there. Keeping keeping up, keeping on with the, the life Kardashians? right now. The Kardashians? No, keeping up, keeping on. It's different than the Kardashians. Okay. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Look, I'm trying, guys. You know, pop culture. We referenced it. Go listen to good music. <laughs> Stop listening to <laughs> shitty music. Anyway, if you liked this episode and are curious about more artists that maybe you don't know about, I think we've I think we've covered a few, a few yeah. handfuls of interesting artists that you know don't get covered enough. So you can find that on our website www.rockcandypodcast.com. Do you like that? Do you like how I did that? Also, over there, you can just toss us an email if you want. We'll respond, and you can follow our social meds. We have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So. Go check those out. We suck at social media. We really do. Sorry. We've been saying for a long time we're going to do TikTok and we, we're not. we haven't done TikTok. You know what? Let's be fucking honest. We're not. Like, I just don't have the time or the sorry. patience. I'm sorry. I, I worked full time through the pandemic. Sort of. I 100% did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but yeah. And also, if you want to give us some of your hard earned pandemic money. you I know you have that stimulus check. Oh, no. But you might need that stimulus check for rent. And your bills. Which is fine. You know what? You don't have to give us any money. You can just keep listening to us for free uh, right here. And we're happy to have you. Yeah. But we also give you 
bonus episodes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, if, if you, you give do, to our Patreon. If you got a bonus, ch- or if you got that check and you're like, I don't really know what to do with it. Why don't you, you, you can feel free to yeah, toss give us, us some like cash. Three bucks, three bucks a month. That's fine. You get a bonus episode. You can get some sweet swag. Yeah. Shout out. And shout out. All that stuff. Yeah. So. And also thank you to all of you that do give to our Patreon. Yes. Thank you so much. You're lovely. That's amazing. Yeah. Pay for a host. Help us pay for hosting and equipment yeah. and books. It's fantastic. We're well-read podcasters now. I know, right? Oh, my God. I, I read a book. I, I bought a whole book the other day. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Look at us. We can afford to host our show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. So come on in next week for a very special episode. Oh, it's going to be a fun episode. It'll be a fun, delightful, casual, carefree episode. Yes. And yeah. Until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on you crazy kids out there. Beer lifts us up where we belong where hangovers don't exist (laughs) except they probably do